0: that they say that the first step towards solving a problem is admitting that you have the problem, right? Okay, so I am publicly confessing this morning that the principle represented in this chapter of submission is a problem for me. It is not one of my favorite concepts in scripture, and um, you will chuckle to know that almost every time I teach a Bible study, if there is a chapter or a passage on submission, it ends up that it falls to me. Okay, now, don't laugh too much yet. In light of that, I have some questions for you. We're going to take a little informal poll in here this morning. So um, how many of you love talking about submission? Raise your hands. You all right, so here's your next question How many of you have worked for an unreasonable or unkind boss? Okay, how many of you would say that at times you have trouble respecting a government leader or politician? Okay. How many of you who are married among us um, have experienced a moment when it was difficult to submit to your husband? (laughs) Just one moment. And how many of you would say that when treated unfairly, you sometimes react with complaining? Oh, come on. Okay. And then the next step from that is, how many of you would say when you've been treated unfairly that you either wanted to or you did react with a strong voice, a little vengeance, or a pledge to seek justice? (laughs) All right, so now what we have established is that I am not the only one in this room with this problem. So all of you can claim that first statement as much as I can, that the first step to solving this is admitting that we have it, right? So now that we're all pretty much on the same page together, I feel so much better. Okay. So what we're going to do to begin to solve this is we're going to turn to Peter's godly counsel on this subject in chapter two and then the beginning of chapter three. As we do that, I want us to remind ourselves of just two things, and that is from this little progression that we have set up as we go through First and 2 Peter, we need to remember that we have already begun to understand who we really are, what our identity really is, that we are children of God, We are redeemed believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are new creations because of his work in us. And second, we need to remember, so that's the first one, our identity, the second one, our hope. We want to keep our minds focused as we go through this this year on the fact that God has given us a living hope that far exceeds anything that we can depend on in our earthly life. Our hope is in what he has done for us by saving us and cleansing us. Our hope is in what he is doing for us as he continues to grow us more like Jesus. And our hope is in what he will do for us in the future with his promise of an eternal inheritance. So with that as our backdrop, now we've got our minds all focused again on where we are in 1 Peter. Let's dig in to our problem with submission. Now, our theme for today is very complex. So you're going to want to write this down because you're going you're to need to think about this all through the day and the weeks to come. So here is our theme. Do what God says is right. Now, it's not complex at all when we read the words. But the truth is that it is complex when we try to apply it and put it into practice. So I want us to look at three reasons from this passage why we want to commit to this, why we want to say, I do within my freedom in Christ, within the fact that I, my life is now devoted to him, I want to do what God says is right not out of just obligation or a sense of owing that, but I want us to think about the higher principles of why it's good for us to do this and what motivates us to do this. So the first one of those is that we want to do what God says is right because it is his will for us to do that. In 2.15, in our passage for today, it tells us, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of other people. Now, the submission that Peter talks about in chapter 2 as he starts this, I want us to put just a touch of context around this. In the time that he is writing in the first century, this would have been a radical concept to these believers. It would have been radical to them in the sense they did not live in a society like ours that honored and preached independence and do whatever you want to do. They lived in a society where there were very strict rules about what class you were in and what you could do. But the truth is that they were truly suffering in their lives. So when Peter says to them submit in the ways that he's about to talk about this would have been really hard for them to accept because the people who they worked for their masters were often people who mistreated them they were in essence enslaved by their social status and where they fell in that social status they were often attacked by law enforcement and government officials who were the very people who were supposed to protect them. There were people in the community around them who constantly spread rumors about them because at that moment in time, those who were believers in the Messiah were considered to be in some very unusual rebel kind of sect. And finally, they were living under an emperor who was growing more insane and more anti-Christian with every day that passes, because the person who is ruling at this moment in time is Nero. So they are in some difficult circumstances. So when Peter says to them, I want you to submit to these things, their first thought might have been, who? Now... We can similarly think that submission for us is difficult. Why? Because we have leaders who are troublesome in their views and their approaches to things. We often can feel vulnerable and unprotected by those who are supposed to be protecting us. And we can hear people speaking very negatively about Christians and what they believe. From time to time. In the media, in conversations, in different arenas. But in spite of all of that, what Peter says to them is, the reason I'm asking you to engage in submission is because it is the will of God. For your life. And he goes on to say, it is the will of God for your life because what God knows is that when we do that correctly, it silences all of those around us who want to criticize, spread rumors, etc. The word silence here literally means muzzle. So what Peter is saying is, when you do what is right, you will muzzle those who oppose you. That's kind of a happy thought. I kind of like that part. (laughs) So he says to us, do what God says is right, and do this in your earthly roles. And he identifies three. He says to do this as citizens, as slaves, as wives. So let's talk just for a second about how we do this as citizens. In today's context, we submit to the president, to the governor, to the local officials, even if we did not vote for them or their party. Submitting to their decisions is hard when we believe some of those decisions to be senseless or excessive. We don't do that because we're just blind followers. We do it because we are servants of God because it is his will for our lives. And as we do that, what occurs is exactly what Peter is saying, and that is that we bring honor to the name of Jesus Christ in the public arena. Now, remember this. The Bible never suggests that rulers on earth will be perfect, and our submission to those rulers does not depend on them modeling Christian virtue. God doesn't always approve either of the laws that can be passed that are clearly in defiance of his will. It is only in that kind of circumstance that we can choose not to submit. For example, if our government were to determine tomorrow that teaching the gospel was to be outlawed, that you could not speak of your faith, we would not obey that. If our government was to say, we are going to, as a nation, all subscribe to a certain religion, and it is not going to be Christianity, we would not submit to that. But we have to agree that the authority of our government leaders is necessary to keep order and stability in our country, in our city, in our state. And it is part of God's will that his created earth would be ruled and governed by human authorities. We have many examples throughout scripture of how God used even a very ungodly leader to accomplish his purposes. So civil government in general is a blessing to us It keeps stability where there may otherwise be anarchy. But there will always be a tension in your life as a believer between what you believe as a citizen, as a Christian citizen, and the authority of unbelieving leaders. There's no way around it. But that tension does not eliminate the opportunity for us to still show respect, and cooperation. Only God-given wisdom and prayer helps us to live in that tension. So I would encourage you as you sum up that passage about, um, about living as a citizen to remember the words from the 16th verse in this chapter, which is, live as people who are free, free in Christ, free knowing what God's will is for you, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So do what God says is right. Now next, Peter moves on to talk about slaves and employees. And many people have drawn a parallel between slavery in the first century and employment in the 20th 21st century and to a certain extent that is a true parallel our places of employment the way the world of work um, exists is the closest place to start but there are a couple of important differences from what we experience and what they experienced in the first century all of our employment is for the most part voluntary we have a choice for whom we work and where we work And work cuts generally across all levels of society in the United States. From the wealthiest to the poorest and everyone in between, generally we're all working in some way. But in the first century, being a slave, as Peter is referring to here, was literally a social class. It meant that your family did not have the legacy or the money, to support itself with a life full of more leisure and relaxation. So you had to work to earn an income to take care of yourself. And although many of the masters in the first century would have been kind and respectful of those who worked for them, there were certainly those that were not They were harsh, cruel, difficult to work for. And slaves were in every role that you can think of, from the housekeeper to the cook to the physician who came to treat the family's illnesses. But what Peter knows and what he's trying to stress in these few verses right here is that there is danger in revolt over working conditions in a society that is adverse to Jesus Christ because he's speaking specifically to believers right here. So what he's telling them is, you will achieve much more positive influence through respect and honor and hard work. So he's basically saying to them, don't develop an attitude here, don't revolt against this, but obey and show respect no matter what And in the process of doing that, you will show yourself to be a faithful believer and an honorer of God. So, citizenship and service and now marriage. My personal favorite. In the first seven verses of chapter 3, Peter dives into wives being in submission. Now, we know for sure that Peter was married. Um, It talks in um, 1 Corinthians 9 about his wife traveling with him at times when he was going to different communities to teach and preach. In Matthew, the eighth chapter, um, we know that um, Jesus at one point healed Peter's mother-in-law. She had a high fever and was very ill. So Peter had some experience with marriage. And we all know all of us in this room who are married or who have been married, that a wedding is one thing, but a marriage is something completely different. A wedding is the moment of celebration and joy and great anticipation for what's to come. And then the marriage is, hopefully, the place where we gain some stability and there is still joy in the midst But it is joy in the midst of routine, in challenges, and in living together 24-7. So there are no perfect marriages, not one. I know of not one. And there are none without challenge and frustration. If you have achieved that goal, please come and talk with me. (laughs) So Peter attaches the same words to wives right here that he has given to citizens and slaves. When he says, be submissive, this is the exact same word that he's used a couple of other times in the chapter. And basically what this word means is to subject yourself to another person with the implication that you're following the other person's lead in obedience. Now, in the best possible circumstances, we are following that person's lead because they are also obedient to God. That is not always the case. So Peter goes on to give a little advice to the women that he's speaking to, and he tells them four things. He says, first of all, watch your actions. Why? Because your example, if your husband is an unbelieving husband, may be what softens his heart toward Jesus Christ. Your actions can have consequences. Then he says, be careful of your adornments. Now, in the first century, women were literally braiding gold into their hair and wearing a lot of gold jewelry and trying to dress in finer clothes, and they began to apply makeup and all kinds of things like that. So in the first century, there was a lot of attention being given by women to doing all of these things to be the most beautiful, to capture people's attention. And what Peter is basically saying here is, if you're spending too much time on your outward appearance to attract attention, and then you are neglecting the priority in your life of cultivating your inner character as a woman who believes in Jesus Christ, then you're spending time on the wrong adornments. Since we're not braiding golden here this morning, this may not be as much of a problem for us. Although, even in current day, you and I can think of things about women's appearances where it's very obvious that they're trying to attract attention. And we would agree then with Peter... That we would much rather that the focus in their heart be on prioritizing Jesus than prioritizing the way they look outwardly. The third thing he says to women is check your attitude. And why do they need to check their attitude? Because God is the most concerned about their internal motivations and attitudes, He is the most concerned about them having humble spirits. Being respectful. And that leads to the last thing he wants them to know, which is know where your attention lies. Know where your priority is. Because when our priority is on God as our protection, our strength, our holiness remember that from last week our dispositions will be much more humble and gentle and reverent, and it will be much, much easier for us to be respectful toward others in our lives, no matter what role they fill. Now, there was a time when I was experiencing um, extreme frustration and disappointment in my marriage, and I began to read the book The Power of a Praying Woman by Stormy O'Martian, which is an awesome book. And I thought for sure when I started that book that I would just pray so much that everything I wasn't pleased with would just come out of him and come out of our marriage. <laughs> so I began chapter one, ready to dig in, and um, I was sure because most of the chapters in that book are, you know, praying for your husband in his career, praying for him at home, praying, you know, all these different categories. So I thought, well, this is gonna nail it. So I began Chapter 1, but there was a problem with Chapter 1 because Chapter 1 was entitled, His Wife. So I was pretty sure I wasn't going to learn anything in that chapter, but (laughs) I dove in anyway. And so as I got further into that chapter, what she was suggesting was that I might need to change. And I started to get a little indigestion and the further I read, I got a little more convicted. And at the end of the chapter, she had written a prayer that um, she wanted each woman reading the book to pray. And basically the prayer was, you know, Lord, help me to be the kind of wife that your scripture shows us we should be. And so I, I prayed through that prayer, and I thought, well, you know, this is good. This is good. But the last line in that prayer Jumped off the page because it said, Lord, give my husband a new wife and let it be me. I believe that God would say that that is an appropriate prayer in every facet of our lives. God, let me be a new citizen. Let me be a new friend. Let me be a new employee a new sibling, a new neighbor. We could go on and on. But in all of that, what we're learning is to do what God says is right. And the next reason is, oops, wrong direction. Huh. Huh. There we go. Because it follows the example of Christ. Now, when you read the first verse in chapter 3, I'm wondering if you caught either the first word or the first phrase in your translation. Because before Peter says, wives, be submissive, he says, if you were reading in the ESV, he says, likewise, wives, be submissive. Or if you were reading the NLT, he says, in the same way, be submissive. So as we read that, the first thing we need to ask is, in the same way as what? Or even more appropriately, in the same way as whom? And the answer lies in verses 21 through 25 in chapter 2. Because Peter has just said, do what God is telling you is right, even if you suffered for it, because you're doing that just as Christ suffered for you. And he goes through in those next few verses to describe all that Jesus does in setting an example for us. He personally carried our sins. Our wounds were healed by his sacrifice. In our wandering, he became our shepherd. When he was mistreated, he never retaliated. He never threatened revenge. And it is so important to understand why the scripture right here says that he was able to do that. Because he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Now, you and I have that very same opportunity to entrust ourselves to the one who gives us the power to forgive to respect when respect is hard, and ultimately what Scripture wants us to know is that God is the final judge. Every wrong deed will, in fact, either be covered by the blood of Jesus for God's children and for us as believers, or it will be repaid justly when God determines it at the final judgment. Now, finally, Peter gets around to husbands, Yay! And he says to them, honor your wives and treat them with understanding. And this would have been a very new concept in the first century because oftentimes in the first century, um, women were treated a little more like servants than they were like wives. And so this would have been a major shift in the way that husbands thought. But after becoming a believer... What Peter is essentially saying to them is, listen, you have a responsibility here to treat your wife with understanding, with kindness, with mutual respect. And the partners would then learn what it meant to live together in their devotion to Jesus Christ, hopefully the same thing that we learn with our partners in our marriages, and we would focus as a team on respect, understanding, gentleness. And there is one other scripture that is in a parallel passage to this one in Ephesians 5, where Paul is writing about the relationships of husbands and wives together, and he writes these words, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ which is such an encouragement of the fact that this is a two-way street. This is a partnership where we are learning how to respect and submit to each other in our marriages. Now before I leave this topic, I want to give just um, a brief disclaimer. And that is that there needs to be great sensitivity around the issue of submission in marriage. And the reason for that is that we live in a world where women can be physically and emotionally abused at the hands of husbands who are not truly seeking the Lord. And I want you to know today that I do not believe that in any way Peter is condoning that behavior or telling women to remain in dangerous relationships and conditions. That is not submission That is intolerable surrender. So please don't read any of that into this passage. So now we're going to finish up with the last of our third reasons why we want to do what God says is right. And that's because it pleases him. In some translations, it says that God considers this to be a gracious thing. If you look back at verses 19 and 20, Um, What we see is that, once again, submission can be hard. There will be mistreatment. But we remember to do what God says is the right thing. Because in verse 19, we are reminded, do this because God is pleased when conscious of his will. Or in some of your translations, it would have said, do this because you are mindful of God. God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Jesus suffered for you. So now, one final thought. When when we have the opportunity, at least in our family, and I'm assuming a lot of you do this same thing, um, if we're going to a new restaurant or we're going to stay in a new place, whether it's an Airbnb or a VRBO hotel, whatever it might be, or if um, if I'm online and I'm shopping for an appliance or clothing or whatever, I always go to the reviews. And I look at the reviews to see whether... Is this place clean? Is it nice? Did people enjoy it there? Was the food good? Does this garment fit true to size? Is this appliance dependable? You know, whatever the questions are that we have about all that. And the reason that we want the information about that beforehand is because it helps us to make better decisions, right? Helps us to know what we're walking into. Well, This is exactly like the way the world evaluates our faith. Because what they're looking for, when they look at you and me and they know that you're a believer or I'm a believer, they're thinking, are Christians really loving and kind? Are their prayers really answered? Can they respond to difficult circumstances with faith and calm and respect? They review Christianity as they watch us. So the question then becomes, are we doing what God says is the right thing to do? Are we authentic examples? Not perfect examples, but are we reflecting the heart of the Father? So whether it's as a citizen, an employee, a wife, a sibling, a friend, no matter what the category, we are, in fact authentic examples when we do what God says is right. Let me pray for us before we go to our groups. Lord, we thank you so much for the truth in your word. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you addressed issues that you knew would be hard for us. But we ask this morning, Lord, um, deep within each of our hearts that you will help us to have a stronger desire to live within your will, to follow the example of Christ, and to please you in our behavior. And as we have those motivations, Lord, may we be better servants of you and more like Jesus Christ. And we pray all of this in his mighty name. Amen.